Hello, NetSuite podcast listeners. Thanks for tuning in. I'm your host, Kendall Fisher, and on this episode, I'm joined by Billy Thompson, co-founder and president of Thompson Tea, the manufacturer of sweat-proof undershirts. That's right. Thompson dives into the motivation to start the company with co-founder Randy Choi, some of the big challenges they faced early on, especially around garnering awareness for the brand, and how Thompson Tea finally started to gain traction. Thompson also dives into the big obstacles the company faced running on disparate systems like Bright Pearl, Magento, and QuickBooks Enterprise. He recalls the tedious manual processes needed to collect information and reconcile data from third parties, as well as the frustration of data redundancies across orders and returns, the inability to properly manage raw materials, and the lack of visibility and efficiency across the entire supply chain. Ultimately, Thompson chose Oracle NetSuite as a solution to the company's challenges, implementing with sweet success in less than three months. Find out how NetSuite provided Thompson T the visibility, control, and efficiencies it needed to continue growing successfully and even expand its product line amid COVID-19. All of that coming up next. You're listening to the NetSuite Podcast, where we discuss what's happening within NetSuite, why we're doing it, and where we're heading in the future. We'll dive into the details about the software and the people at NetSuite who are behind all the moving parts. We'll also feature customer growth stories, discussing the ups and downs of running a company and how one integrated system can help your business continue to scale. Hi, Billy. Thanks so much for joining us on this episode. How are you? I'm doing good, Kendall. Thank you so much for having me. Yes, it's it's our pleasure, truly. Um, now, I want to start off by having you tell us a little bit about Thompson Tea. What does the company do? Sure. The Thompson Tea is a patented undershirt that blocks underarm sweat in the most simplest form, right? Mm-hmm. And, you know, necessity was the mother of invention as this was, you know, something that not just myself, but even my business partner, we struggled with. So, you know, having such a personal experience with, with this issue, we knew that, uh, you know, a, a comfortable and convenient and, and effective solution and affordable one was, you know, was needed out there, right? I would have loved to have had this product whenever I was in junior high school and, and, and all the way through school, actually. Uh, thankfully, back then, baggy clothes were in, so I could conceal <laughs> the problem a lot better. <laughs> right, right. Well, and especially, like, I think about, you know, suits for both women and men and how this is so helpful for that. That's, like, where I, I mean, I struggle with it, too, especially on it. Think about, like, an interview. I, exactly. I'm, like, that was always my biggest concern is, please don't be sweating. Please don't be sweating. It's so embarrassing. Don't be sweating. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Exactly. And that, you know, those, those, we have two, two types of customers that we call them the situational sweaters, which is, you know, anytime you're dealt with a situation like public speaking, job interviews or anything like that, then uh, you might need some extra protection there. And then we have uh, the folks who deal with this on a, on a daily basis. And we call them, you know, our daily sweaters. And so um, it's been interesting to see the experience from, from uh, the lens of both types of customers. Yeah, for sure. Now you officially launched in 2012. What was your original business model or go-to-market strategy for this concept? Oh my goodness. So, uh, you know, I had no e-commerce experience, neither did my, my business partner. Uh, and so I, I immediately thought when we, you know, envisioned launching this product, uh, it was, it was big box brick and mortar, you know, all the way. Right. So mm-hmm. yes, we did launch a website because it was, I think it was like $20 a month at the time. It was one of those other turnkey solutions out of the box. And so we just put it up because it was, it was easy. Um, never did we think that would become our, our primary, uh, distribution channel, but I had no idea how big box worked. Right. I didn't know about the markdown monies, the guaranteed sell-throughs, obviously the terms that are from a cash flow perspective that aren't favorable and, uh, you know, you name it, right? And so there's there's a lot of risk going into, you know, a deal, especially as, a, as a, a, an unknown startup uh, going in and doing a deal with a big box retailer. And I had uh, lined up quite a few of the big box retailers from Neiman Marcus, Saks, Macy's, Nordstrom's. And that was, and again, that was before I even knew. I think my business partner was just kind of seeing what, you know, what I was going to do. And when I told him I had all these buyers ready to, you know, look at our product, he, you know, he was like, Hey, we got to pump the brakes. Uh, you know, we just did a 300 piece run. Um, you know, we're, we're on basically bootstrapped fumes. Uh, there's a lot more to take into consideration when it comes to big box. So, 
you know, after realizing that that's probably, you know, getting on the shelf, it was never an issue for us. It was making sure the consumer knew what the product does and, and what it was in order for it to move off the shelf. And obviously without a fairly large advertising campaign or an awareness campaign, it would be difficult to just rely solely on, on the uh, customer's intuition at the, at the point of sale. So we had to back off that, that strategy pretty quickly. Yeah. I I mean, I can imagine that trying to, I mean, I'm just thinking of like, um, I don't know, Nordstrom's my favorite. Um, if you're, if you're at Nordstrom Nordstrom. and you, yeah, if you see this and you're like, okay, I get the concept, but like, I need a little more information. Who's going to be there to support you. So, um, exactly. I could see how this would easily become more of a direct to consumer, um, idea. And that's exactly like you said, you launched your, what your e-com site, um, in, in what, in 2012, 2012, January of 2012, we put up this e-commerce site, um, that we completely broke, you know, as a true bootstrapped entrepreneur, we took a $20 a month website that was supposed to be template driven out of the box. And we completely broke the template, customized it, which, you know, proved problematic down the road. Uh, but that's, that's what we ended up sort of launching with, um, while we were, while we were entertaining the big box strategy, but ultimately the, the, the direct consumer model is what prevailed. And, and what other, I mean, tell me about some of the challenges that arose with your e-com site, um, and, and the sales that you, that you saw from it what surprises um, turned up at that point and, and how you dealt with all of that? Well, I'd say overall, the biggest, you know, the biggest challenge we faced was awareness. When you come out with a product that doesn't exist on the marketplace and when it uh, really sort of has a, a hybrid kind of positioning statement as far as, you know, yes, it's an apparel product, but it acts as an antiperspirant, right? So do, do you, you know, where, where do you, where, where does this, product live per se. And so, and what's the messaging behind it? Um, and you know, again, we, we were able to get a lot of that into the website. Uh, the first year of sales we did, you know, 90,000, um, which thankfully we, you know, we could do that in, in a, in a day now. Well, pre COVID we were, we were doing that in a day on when we had sales, but, uh, really the, you know, the biggest challenge, you know, from a high level was awareness. And then when you start looking at the, you know, the e-commerce model, you know, specifically, right, there's all kinds of nuts and bolts along with the digital marketing that come into play with making sure that all of that is, is running, uh, running smoothly as well. And, you know, prior to, uh, you know, after we went from big box, we actually looked at another uh, distribution model, which was a direct response. And those are the TV ads, right? So like where you could, and there, and there, that gave you a platform to uh, explain the product, right? Kind of, you know, get over that learning curve. Um, but like, like big box, it has its own downsides in particular, the media buy, right? It's a big gamble on, on buying media to test it out, to see if it works. And if it works, then, you know, you keep it going. And, and just an FYI for everybody, if you, if you see a direct response commercial still running on TV and it's been running for years and years and years, then you know that that ad is, is, is bringing in money. It's, it's definitely re- giving you a return on that investment. Cause otherwise, you know, you would pull the ad fairly quickly and, yeah. and not to deal with that. But so, you know, we looked at that and we looked at uh, like a co-branded promotion where, you know, I figured all of our customers were intersecting in the antiperspirant aisle or buying antiperspirants to some degree. And so we reached out to an antiperspirant brand to do like a, a collaborative coupon, like, Hey, you know, the rationale was, it, it, you know, if, if our customers use this product in conjunction with the shirt and it provides a solution for them, then they're going to be less apt to switch because they don't want to mess with something that's already working. Well, right. the problem with that was, was the antiperspirant brands would have to admit to the lack of efficacy in their product by saying, hey, you need this extra extra layer, so to speak, this undershirt that's going to really prevent it from, from coming through. So that, that proved problematic too. And then I had an idea to put, you know, a uh, shelf talk, I guess it's kind of like a shelf talk ad where those ads that stick perpendicularly outside of the, off the shelf, right. putting an ad in, in the major, you know, retailer, the grocery stores, the drug stores with our product and, and offering one of those coupon codes that you can take with you. And then, you know, obviously giving a rip back to the, to the retailer. So they would have a, you know, a revenue stream on a product that they don't even have to worry about carrying that actually turned into one of the big box, uh, drugstore, uh, chains asking, Hey, why don't you carry our, 
our product on the shelf. And uh, mm-hmm. I never thought of it. I was like, oh, so instantly I thought, well, we're either going to be those geniuses that figured out how to sell an, an undershirt in an <laughs> antiperspirant aisle, or, you know, yeah. we're going to be those, we're going to be those fools who tried to sell an undershirt, in, you know, a $25 undershirt in the antiperspirant aisle. Well, the latter happened with the test market that we did, um, you know, despite all my efforts going into this drugstore and, you know, I had permission to do this, but it was, it was fairly random to the one that was local to me, like measuring the shelf space and looking at how many, you know, spaces this would take up and all that crazy stuff. Um, but that failed miserably. And around the same time, one of our advisors had told us, Hey, look, the, you know, this was year two, the website was starting to gain some traction and we were, you know, we were on pace to do, to do about a half a million. So going from 90,000 to a half a million was a big jump. Yeah. And, uh, he said, you know, why don't you guys just focus on this direct consumer model, build your database, right? I mean, cause obviously if you build your database of customers, that's, that's a great thing. So he said, focus on that. And that was really the, the, the pivotal point in our, in our D to C moment where up until that point, D to C was just sort of this extracurricular thing that we had going while we were trying to figure out the distribution path. And when we literally focused everything onto the D2C model, that's when things started taking off. And, and we were really trying to optimize the, the D2C channel. And, you know, in hindsight, right, we're so glad that, that things worked out the way they did, because we would be in a, in a much different situation right now had we been relying strictly on big box. Right. I mean, and, and for those who are listening, listening in when they hear you say that you put everything into this D2C model, I mean, what does that mean? Like what, what worked, what ultimately ended up working, working, was it, you know, online marketing, was it social media? What was it? Well, you know, it was, it was definitely the entire suite of, uh, digital marketing sort of as it pertains to that HubSpot model. Uh, you know, just to put in perspective, we didn't even know how to install Google analytics on our website when we, you know, when it was running that first year. And so we had to bring someone in who, who, um, actually turned out to start his own digital marketing company. He had, he had suffered from the problem too, knew that we were doing it. So he became very passionate about, uh, the solution that we were offering. And so everything from, you know, obviously the Google analytics, right? They're huge. They show you where, where everything is and where it's going, but you know, from the email marketing, right. To the email nurture, you know, nurturing marketing to the, um, content creation was a huge one, right? I mean, you have to create mm-hmm. this, this content that is engaging, that answers customers' questions that will eventually funnel them into your site or at least expose them to that. Uh, and then obviously all of your paid, you know, pay-per-click sort of, you know, online adverti- advertising, whether it's, you know, Google or Facebook, and we do some on the social media. Social media as a whole has not proven to be a very effective uh, medium for us, aside from, you know, the minimal amount of interaction and followers and uh, that we have. And, you know, we really chalk it up to this sort of stigma that the problem has, right? I mean, this is an issue that people want to conceal and they've been trying to conceal for the longest time. And then, so it's kind of difficult to sort of have them turn around and, 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 or expect them to turn around and tell the world they found a solution to this problem that they didn't even want the world knowing they had. Right. So, you know, there is that piece of it. And of course, you know, we do what we can to try and get around that, right? We try and make things as engaging and, and drive as much value as we can also try to rely on, uh, some humor, right? Some humor and, and, uh, make things funny, right? So if we can, we can kind of, if we can kind of make a, make a joke or not necessarily a joke, but laugh at this problem to get it out there, then, you know, the social, the social side may pick up some, but in the meantime, it's, you know, social still proves to be a challenge, challenge for us, but all the other, you know, all the other digital marketing, you know, uh, processes and assets are, you know, are working well and, and, and they pay residuals, right? I mean, that blog post that you put out there will typically, you know, keep going and keep driving traffic to your website for quite a while. That backlink that you get on, say, you know, the, the, the NetSuite podcast page or, yeah. you know, any other press we've got, CNBC and, and, you know, all these, you know, all these news outlets. I mean, those have, they have a high authoritative value with Google. So they're pointing traffic back to your, back to your website as well. So it was that entire digital marketing suite um, sort of based in, in, in the HubSpot model that we started firing on all cylinders and we were able to achieve a hundred percent growth for those quite, you know, for a bunch of those years. I mean, it, it got, you know, from the first year to the second year, we went to 90,000. I'm sorry. First to second was first year was 90. Second year was half a million. Then it went a million, 2 million, 4 million, 8 million. 
and we're realizing to go from four to eight million is much much more difficult, uh, much more easier than than going from you know eight to sixteen million. So uh, we've sort of plateaued in and around that ten million dollar mark, and are seeing some of the diminishing returns on the advertising. But that just means you know you have to get creative and figure out different ways to continue to grow the business. Yeah, of course. You you answered my question. I was going to say how to once you you know dove with with two hands and two feet in what was that growth like and that's that's yeah. interesting to see the some of those numbers yeah and you know i mean it's yeah it's it's sort of obvious when you know when you're doubling up every year it makes it makes you know planning much easier right it's like well right. we doubled up last year what are you guys going to do this? well we're going to double up this year how i, I don't know but we're going to figure it out so <laughs> yeah, it was, right. those, those marketing meetings were much more fun and and much more lax back then compared to what <laughs> they are now right yeah like, of course. now everything is getting you know scrutinized under a microscope because of obviously the, the current situation it is true, not to mention uh, with just the climate of the world in general. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, but, but going back to you know this this climb for you, you were originally managing your e-commerce on Magento, um, correct? Yeah, you know that that template that I was referencing was a was a system called Volusion, and and they uh-huh. were one of the turnkey uh, providers out of the box. And of course, going back to how we broke the template, our site was so not mobile optimized because we broke the template, right? So this was some of the problems that came up in in our, you know, sort of, uh, you know, mindset of trying to get it done. And so that proved problematic because everything was moving towards mobile, right? Mobile, mobile, mobile. So, and then there was some other things that these out-of-the-box turnkey solutions weren't really open at that time to some of the digital marketing things that we wanted to do. So we made a, a 180 and we said, okay, we're, you know, instead of trying, you know, being boxed in by this sort of system, we're going to go the other direction, choose a, a completely open system, right? And that was the system. That's how Magento came about because it was, it was the benefit was we could literally do anything with the site, which coincidentally is also the disadvantage in that we could do anything with the site, right? <laughs> and we're not IT guys. And so, right. but yeah, that's how we ended up on Magento. And, 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 you know, as great as the features are, it's like, you know, if you don't have the team behind it, right. And, and like for Magento, we would have, and, and don't get me wrong, Magento for, you know, enterprise, you know, big, big, big companies with, with massive catalogs and full-blown IT teams. I mean, I'm sure Magento is perfectly fine, but, you know, for a smaller business like us, we were just selling undershirts or catalogs, not that big. Uh, we didn't want to have to staff an IT team. You know, our digital marketing team was, was kind enough to handle some of the, uh, some of the IT, but then, they're not doing what they do best, right? They're more they're they're more tied up with their resources on on playing IT, and it you know we just it, it was it was very difficult. I mean, anytime we made an update, something broke, so we had to do full blown quality checks on everything, and it was just it was just this ongoing cycle of of time and effort needed to just keep our e commerce system running. And, and unfortunately, you know, we switched from Magento 1 to Magento 2, thinking that would fix some of the problems, right, that were in the Magento 1 bug. Yeah. And at that time, you know, we still couldn't afford, you know, a full-blown OMS, right, like a NetSuite or like, you know, all these other ones that were out there. And so at the time, we went from Magento 1 to Magento 2. We said, okay, now we got to get an OMS in here because we're really feeling the pains of having to do everything manually and, and all that stuff. And so... Another downside to, to Magento 2 was there because it was so new at the time, there wasn't any uh, OMS systems that were integrated. And, and that's how we ended up on BrightPearl because BrightPearl was one of the few, if not only, systems that you know advertised being integrated with Magento 2. So that's exactly how we ended up on the BrightPearl system. Got it. So to, to kind of tie in what you needed on Magento, you brought in Bright, BrightPearl to kind of stack that on top. Exactly. Because, you know, prior on Magento one, we were, you know, we were using this, you know, this connector that was, you know, connecting basically, you know, the or we, we had to rig the OMS system, right? We had to connect the marketplace with the dot com, uh, connect the marketplaces in the dot com to the to we were using QuickBooks Enterprise, right, as far as our OMS system and that quickly it's not meant to do that, right? So that quickly right. bogged down the, the QuickBooks system and it, the database just grew so massive because we obviously didn't want to purge any of that information or get it off to where it wasn't accessible. So it just, that's what said, okay, you guys need to get a system like BrightPearl in because we've outgrown this sort of rigged 
system that we put in place. And, you know, that theme of rigging things mm-hmm. to make them work was, was prevalent during our experience with Magento 2 and Bright Pearl. Right. Tell me about some of those challenges. What, what came up for the company at this point once you've, you know, kind of duct taped these two systems together? Oh my goodness. I mean, it was, <laughs> you know, again, things would, you know, things would, things would break like QuickBooks would, would crash. Cause it would, it was just, it was, there was too much of a load on it. Um, you know, we had all of these manual processes to gather information and to find the data, you know, just in general, the Magento system, you know, even with bright Pearl, the, the you know, there was, we didn't have the ability to kind of sort of reconcile the third parties connections right now now you have third-party connectors with NetSuite that you know they they hold the accountability right they want to ensure that the data is accurate so we'd get you know we'd get inaccurate data coming through we'd get redundant data coming through sometimes orders would double up sometimes we didn't know if orders got fully refunded and and all of this stuff was you know you you had to be reactive in catching it so it was like these things could be happening and unless you went looking for them you know, you would, you wouldn't know they were happening until something got big enough to where it caught your attention. And it's like, oh, this is a big problem, right? I mean, we had thousands of orders that, you know, we couldn't completely reconcile at the time because whether there was, yeah, again, failed transactions, duplicate transactions, you know, did things get shipped out? Did they not get, it was, it was just, it was very worrisome, right? Very stressful. I mean, when you don't know, you don't know. And, and, and what's worse than not knowing is when you're getting inaccurate data. I mean, that's, that's, you know, a major problem. And and what sort of data redundancies were you seeing when you talk about that? I mean, I know you're saying you're seeing sometimes duplicate orders or whatnot. Was there anything else? And and how did that impact the business? Yeah, and you know, data redundancies really from two angles, right? I mean, we had we did have some redundancies in the data, so to speak, meaning that uh, it was you know again we'd have duplicate orders, we'd have you know uh, you know duplicate refunds, and things were you know things were you know redundant from that aspect, right? And of course, that messes everything up, right? That messes up your bookkeeping, it messes up your fulfillment, it messes up your inventory, um, and then from a from a safety data redundancy standpoint, uh, meaning you know, having your systems backed up, that was another issue we had to deal with was that, you know, we had to contract our own server space and all that stuff. And that crashed twice. So now this, you know, data redundancy safety measure that's supposed to be in place all of a sudden is now um, no longer the case. So that was, uh, those are some of the things that we had to deal with. And just for somebody who's not sure, you know, what you mean by when, when, when your system crashes, what does that, what does that do for the company? Well, I mean, well, A, your immediate action is like, okay, well, when it comes back up, will, you know, will we have all of our data will still be there, right? I mean, that's your, that's your immediate concern, right? When something goes down and you can't access it, it's like, okay, are we going to, you know, will we have this information uh, available when it comes back up? And then, you know, the fact that it's not available when you need it, I mean, that creates a problem too, right? I mean, if you're trying to get something done and, and execute something and the, and the data is not there, then, you know, you can't get it done. And ultimately, like with all these challenges you just mentioned in terms of just visibility in general, how did this Mm -hmm. limit your success? And how did these types of redundancies and these types of, you know, like you said, the the system crashing, how does this overall limit, how did this specifically limit Thompson T's success? Well, it just, it just made things so much more, like just so much more harder, right? Like than they needed to be. Right. And so when that happens and you're doing a lot of, you know, manual things, you know, you're wasting a lot of time, resources and energy. It's also very stressful to try and make decisions based on, you know, uh, data that you, you deem inaccurate that you're questioning. So there was a massive amount of stress that was put on, you know, myself and my business partner to make the right decisions and we couldn't access the data when we needed it. So it was problematic. And then even, you know, even our leadership team, when we would ask for data from them, it would, you know, they had to go in and spend way more time than, than they needed to on, on piecing together, you know, data points and, and finally giving us a report that, you know, we could, you know, we could analyze. So it was just a lot of time, wasted time, energy and, and resources. Right. What about on the inventory management side? How did this kind of lack of accuracy, lack of visibility tie up costs there? Well, you know, one of the things that was a shortcoming that we actually, you know, NetSuite has has since solved for us is that, you know, Bright Pearl did not have the op- ability for us to track our raw materials 
and to do uh, certain builds, assembly builds, if you will, like different SKUs and whatnot, to track it from that level. So it was really a guesstimate on the COGS, right? On a reactive basis, kind of like, you know, well, what do we spend? How many do we make? Okay, then it must cost this much versus, you know, versus being on the proactive side. And so like with inventory, I mean, inventory, there's so much money tied up in inventory that you have to manage that really well. Otherwise, you know, you're, you're, if you're not optimized, you're going to be sitting on a ton of inventory that that isn't turning over or worse, you know, you're going to be short. And so, you know, we couldn't see the, the, the whip, the work in progress, uh, of the supply chain either. Uh, so we were limited there. So really our ability to manage the cash flows and the forecasting was, was hindered when you, when you have that lack of visibility. Of course. I mean, obviously there's, you've just listed so many challenges that arose, but was there anything that like, was there a straw that broke the camel's back where you were like, that's it. We need a new business <laughs> management solution. We're out. And then, yeah. and then why did you end up going with NetSuite? <laughs> well, you know, the first thing we did was realizing we got to get off Magento. Again, we were selling undershirts. Uh, you know, that's all. That's, that's what my business partners say all the time. Like we, we're, just, we're just selling undershirts right now. And why do we need, you know, sort of the Rolls Royce of, <laughs> of, you know, e-commerce systems that need an entire maintenance team to manage? So that was the first piece to go. Once we got rid of Magento, that obviously opened us up to unhook Bright Pearl because Bright Pearl was, was tied to Magento for us. Right. Um, and then obviously even, you know, Bright Pearl is based out of the UK and just that alone, you know, uh, has some challenges, right? Because you have a time difference. So, you know, anytime you wanted to reach out and schedule, you know, time with their support, um, you had that issue as well. So we realized that, you know, Bright Pearl was not going to work with us. We needed a better supply chain management system. We needed, you know, accountability and the ability to reconcile, you know, third, the third party connectors to any of the problems that might pop up, um, you know, and seeing those proactively instead of reactively, um, and so we just, at that point, you know, once the, once the contract ended with Bright Pearl, we knew we had to, we had to look for another system. Right. So you ended up deciding to implement NetSuite first and foremost, why? I mean, why NetSuite over competitors? Well, we did compare them against all, you know, the other OMSs or order management systems in the small and medium, uh, business space and NetSuite plain and simple offered the best value. Right. With their obviously their experience, the 24 seven customer support is huge. The the implementation services was huge. The the fact that they, you know, the, the vertical, uh, the vertical apparel module that we use. So it's apparel and footwear, footwear access, I believe, is what it's called. And so, you know, looking at those things, those were all, you know, pointing in the direction of, of NetSuite being the best value for our company. Yeah. And, and that's actually sweet success is, is what we call it here at NetSuite, where it's, you know, it's, it's directed towards your exact industry for, for, you know, with out of the box options that are for AFA, as you, as you mentioned, which is yep. apparel, footwear and accessories. Yep. Um, uh, why did you feel uh, confident in implementing sweet success? I mean, I'm not, again, for the listeners that are tuning in, don't know much about sweet success, don't really know um, what that means to have an out of the box implementation catered to your specific industry. Like why did that lift a weight off your shoulders? Well, you know, like with any, any big sort of enterprise wide software system, I mean, you always have to have some sort of uh, professional services to come in and pretty much connect the dots and make, make sure the implementation and, and, and the, you know, the ongoing use is, is smooth. Right. And so when we were looking at that and the fact that they, they offered that you didn't have to go and, and, and hire a third party, so to speak, to come in and, 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 and match those things up. We figured the folks at Sweet Success, they know the NetSuite system better than anyone else does. And they've probably have done these onboarding uh, implementations, you know, one after the other. So that exact experience was very attractive for us. And it, it didn't make any sense to go with anyone else. Right. Yeah. And, and one of the things that was, you know, really cool was that they spent a considerable amount of time and energy understanding our business and our processes to optimize NetSuite into our business, you know, whether right. it be the option to modify our processes to fit NetSuite, which we did because the majority of our processes going back to how we had to rig everything together, they, they weren't really efficient or, or optimized. So we did take their lead on a lot of those processes 
because they were able to tell us, hey, these, this is industry standard. This is what you know most people are using. And uh, we took that, that approach versus having to modify NetSuite to fit our business, which was, you know, which was an option too. And, and the implementation, implementation team, Suite Success, offered that as well. And, and so to, to have someone come through and really sit down and, and match up you know, the, the, the pieces of your business, those fundamental blocks of your business, the processes to, to the system is huge. Um, right. We didn't get that so much on our prior system, right? I mean, it was uh, quote unquote an easy implementation, and and I guess in hindsight, it 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 was because we didn't have to do they didn't have to do much, and then it was right. us, you know, on the back end just trying to piece this thing together. There's enough uncertainty to go around right now. Netsuite reduces it by giving you visibility and control. With so many critical decisions to make, you need the right numbers, and you need them right now. NetSuite by Oracle is the world's number one cloud business system. With NetSuite, we give you financials, cash flow, payroll, inventory, and more, all in one place so you have clear visibility and total control of your business. NetSuite customers have the flexibility to work from anywhere with immediate clarity on critical information right at their fingertips. No more guessing, no more waiting. Make smarter decisions with confidence because you've got crystal clear visibility into your numbers. Join over 20,000 companies who trust NetSuite to stay in control. Receive your free guide, Managing Business Uncertainty, and schedule your free product tour right now at netsuite.com slash USA. Don't wait. Get your free guide, Managing Business Uncertainty, and schedule your free product tour at netsuite.com slash USA. netsuite.com slash USA. Now, what was the implementation process like with NetSuite and how long did it take? You know, it was smooth. I mean, we, you know, we've only, we haven't done this too many times and we've done enough legacy system switches, whether it be the e-commerce, you know, platform or, or you know, the most recent with the OMS, but it, it went, it went very smooth, right? And, and we attribute that to obviously Sweet Success being there to, to help us implement this program. And I think it took uh, roughly two and a half months from the time that we, you know, went under contract to, uh, to launching, which is great. Wow. Wow. What else would you say about to another business owner, maybe a first time business owner about NetSuite, Sweet Success and implementation and when, when should they start looking into that? Well, I would say, I would say definitely just do it right. Uh, everything that was promised happened you know, from the NetSuite uh, sweet success team and the implementation. So, and, and when exactly you should start looking at that, I mean, you should start looking at that piece of the puzzle at the beginning of your due diligence process and whoever you're looking at, right? Because it, it's, it's like we had with Magento. It's great to have all the bells and whistles you can even Im- imagine or ever want. But if you don't, if you don't have the, the, the team to actually implement those and use it, then, you know, what's the point, right? So mm-hmm. I would say definitely, you know, definitely look at NetSuite, Suite Success implementation, look at NetSuite, uh, obviously do your due diligence. And we can just say that everything that was promised to us happened. And uh, the sooner you, you know, you marry the two, the implement, implementation side to the, uh, to the, to the actual uh, product, the better off you're going to be. Yeah. So when you did go about, you know, your, your implementation, what NetSuite functionality did you implement from the start and, and why? What were you looking at right from the beginning? We, need, we needed all of it, right? We, we couldn't, like, and I know a lot of other bigger organizations, they may, they may, um, they may pull, you know, pieces in for certain parts of their business, but for really, for us, it was, we, we needed all of it, right? We needed a, we needed a system that, that could handle all of our orders from all the different channels that we were getting that could handle all of our inventory that, you know, the management side and supply chain side of that as well. And then even, you know, to our, our customer service module that we use uh, implemented very well with, with NetSuite. So that was huge. And then, and then all the bookkeeping, that was the other piece too. The, the prior systems bookkeeping was based on, you know, UK accounting principles. Well, you know, they're slightly different than United States accounting principles. And so the bookkeeping piece of it was, was big as well. So we used as much of it to our business as we possibly could. Right. What were some of the big benefits of NetSuite that stuck out to you right away after implementing these, you know, especially implementing so much at the beginning, but then, um, you know, hitting these key areas like, like finance, like accounting, like um, being able to, to fit your needs across your distribution models? 
Well, you know, the the biggest benefit that we noticed right away was that in NetSuite, we had a system that offered visibility and best practices without having to modify and manipulate much at all. And we were so used to that, right, of just putting Band-Aids on and, you know, think these quick fixes here and there. And uh, when, when NetSuite came in and after the implementation was done and they matched everything up, it was like, wow, we're getting, you know, again, all this visibility across, you know, our entire business and, and you know, backed by the best practices and we didn't have to do anything. So that was, that was huge. Yeah. Yeah. And how, like, how has this changed over time? This, this value of NetSuite, is there something now that you, that you see that you're like, Oh, that I didn't maybe realize this was going to be so valuable, but now it's, it's, it's increasingly valuable as you continue to, you know, grow and succeed. Yeah. The, well, the 24 seven customer, uh, customer support, right. That, that was, uh, again, we didn't have that with uh, Magento. There's no support. Uh, we didn't have that with uh, Bright Pearl. There was sort of some limitations on the timeframes in which we can call in and get the support. So the fact that we have 24-7, essentially world-class support. I mean, when you look at NetSuite, it's an Oracle company. I mean, there's a benchmark and standard that is set there. And 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 that's big because if there's any issues whatsoever, whatsoever, whether it's our business or, or something with the system, we, you know, we just tell our people, you know, call the number. There's support there. And, and they're able to figure it out. So that was a that was a huge pay, huge piece, or is a huge piece that continues to drive you know value. Uh, the sales tax management piece that that's another big one too, right? With all of these changes recently, with you know obviously with Amazon and the sales tax collection, uh, with just e-commerce in general, um, you know the 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 integrator that we have for the sales tax management that's become hugely valuable for us and then obviously the supply chain management you know that that you know we've never had that detailed of a look at our supply chain so that you know when when we have all those details at our fingertips and we it just allows us to just optimize our cash flows and plan and forecast for product development which is a huge piece of our you know strategy going forward now so you know going back to those assembly builds being able to see okay if we bring this new product on this is how much this thing is going to cost us you know to the detail right detailed level and we can we can plan accordingly Wow, that's so much to unpack there. And right. <laughs> but it's great. It's all super great information. And and, and um I want to dive into a little bit. So I want to go back to first of all the, the challenges that you addressed with data redundancy um and the accuracy of your data. How has NetSuite addressed this? If you could just like break it down in summary. Sure, before. sure. Yeah. I mean, essentially NetSuite eliminated the issues with redundant data and data redundancy, right? Uh, there's no need to worry about it. All the connectors are accountable for the information that they're pulling in. So we know that the the information is is accurate there and we don't see any of the duplicate you know data that we would see before. So it's it again it eliminated it from that standpoint. And then you know on the server side, NetSuite has never gone down in our experience. And, you know, Bright Pearl, I think, went down at least two times, you know, during that time frame. So, you know, from those two aspects, again, it just NetSuite completely eliminated the worry of, of any sort of redundant data or data, data redundancy. And I, I want to dive a little bit into, you know, you talked about the supply chain side and just being having the detail that you've never seen before, being able to see, you know, where where exactly, you know, the raw materials and and everything else along the supply chain in terms of order management and so on and so forth. Um, but can you, can you dive into any specifics around other visibility, maybe along the inventory side um, that you had talked about was that was challenging earlier? Yeah, exactly. I mean, the, you know, we have, we definitely have a lot more visibility across the entire business because there's, you know, they're providing real time accurate reports and that's from everything from inventory management all the way to sales. And so having that, you know, that visibility there is, is huge. Now, Billy, on the inventory side, how does NetSuite help address those challenges that you had mentioned there? Well, NetSuite offers the ability to look at it really at, at, at a ground zero level, right? When you talk about the raw materials, you know, that's the beginning of your, your inventory, right? You bring in these raw materials and being able to uh, see what those yields are on a skew level, right? When you're building these products out is, is very advantageous because it allows us to optimize, uh, you know, the, 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 um, the cash flow, the spend for, and, and true, have a true understanding of what the cogs are 
on a SKU level, right? Which is big because then you can allocate resources where needed. And what about when you're talking about Amazon? We didn't really actually dive into that earlier. First of all, can you tell us kind of what you're doing on Amazon and how that presented a challenge and then how NetSuite is is enabling you to be successful there? Yeah, sure. And, you know, Amazon, funny story with Amazon. This is how clueless we were in the e-commerce space. When we first launched our website, you know, the thought of, using uh, Amazon was like, well, why would anybody buy from Amazon when they can buy direct from us? <laughs> it's, it sounds silly to even right? voice that, right? <laughs> no, we hear it all that we hear it all the time. We hear it all the time. So I mean, yeah. now, now we're saying, I mean, now we're laughing, but back then it's, it was a serious, it was a real question. I get yeah. it. Yeah. It was kind of like, well, why would they do that? It just seemed like an extra layer, right? Like a middleman or something. And so, um, and another funny story sort of, offshoot of that similar, you know, similar thing is that when we, when we had the option to turn on PayPal, we're like, oh, why would anybody use PayPal? You know, <laughs> I, I don't use PayPal. I feel much more comfortable just putting my credit card information directly into the site. And so we turned on PayPal to do an international deal. And, and next thing you know, like a third of our orders were coming in, you know, via PayPal. <laughs> um, but Amazon, we, we, uh, we, we eventually decided, I think it was uh, going into that second year to add Amazon. Um, and so we, we put it up. We had obviously didn't know what to expect. And when we put it up, you know, it started doing well, started getting traction and, is, you know, nearly doubled our business and, and accounts, you know, well, pre-COVID, Amazon for us took a, a, a major hit during this COVID timeframe. But pre-COVID, it was about 45% of our business. Wow. And so it, it, it was, you know, it was becoming a, a, not becoming, it is a major revenue stream for us. And we also were using them to expand internationally, right? With all the pan-EU countries that that you get from, you know, UK, Germany, Spain, Italy, um, and then Amazon Japan, Amazon Canada. I think we're looking at, you know, the Netherlands and, and a few others. But, you know, we had these international channels that we were able to grow with Amazon uh, along with the domestic. And obviously, when you start adding all of these channels, right, these different channels, and you want to know, well, okay, well, how Ger- how's Germany doing? How's Spain doing? You know, you want to see that on sort of the reconciled side of things, right? Not just the all up sales side of things. And so, you know, what we found was huge was that, you know, and, and it sounds really simple to say this, but all of the, all the NetSuite connectors to, to Amazon are reconcilable, right? Which is huge. So, you know, you have, you know, the accurate data and, and, you know, there's, there's, those connectors are held accountable for the integrity of that data, right? I mean, again, these are all things that you would think would be normal business practices for anyone that, that is connecting these things. But, you know, we didn't, we found that not to be the case when you were just using the sort of the, the homegrown APIs. Yes, they were, they were providing sort of the bridge for the info to flow across, but there was no accountability on, you know, the integrity of the info that was flowing across. And so with NetSuite, again, we're able to reconcile that and there's accountability. Yeah. Now, with all of this, I mean, all this visibility, you know, having all of this data in one place, accurate data in one place, um, I mean, the safety, as you talked about, how does all of this information enable you to make better and more informed business decisions? Can you give us examples of some of the decisions you were able to make with this information? Well, you know, it, it obviously, you know, having all of that data in one place, I mean, it saves a ton of time. Right, because now you're not having to go to multiple systems and pull multiple things from here and there and then combine them into one. So you're saving a ton of time. Obviously, you're saving money and obviously you're saving resources, right? All of those are sort of one and the same. And, right. you know, the fact that they're the integrity of the info and, and data, you know, uh, because it's there, it allows us to make, you know, better business decisions from a cash flow product, dev, you know, product development side. And, you know, the cash flows are that's kind of the, the life blood that flows through your business. So that, that, that touches everything else, right? It, it, it allows you to more, you know, effectively manage your advertising budgets and any, any other budget from that standpoint. And so, you know, having all that data in particular to the inventory piece was, you know, was very huge in, you know, our recent pivot of our business to creating the face mask. Mm. So yeah. that helped That's out a something- lot. Yeah, you guys started creating face face masks amid COVID-19. I mean, first of all, obviously this information, like you just said, helped, helped you do so, helped you feel confident in, in making that, um, you know, transition. But why was this a natural next step for you guys? Well, you know, I guess, 
I guess from the outside looking in, it could seem natural for us. Uh, and I guess, well, I guess, you know, I guess you could say it was natural from the standpoint that we had the supply chain that was ready, right? We had the, we had the, the materials that, that were ready for that. Um, you know, it was more of an, a necessary step than, than probably a natural step for us because, you know, like a lot of businesses, I mean, we took a tremendous, a tremendous hit when, when the lockdowns first started happening back in, you know, mid-March going, you know, going into late March, you know, it was a, it was a scary time. And so, you know, going back to the inventory piece of it, you know, it allowed us to see, okay, what raw material, you know, again, the raw materials and the assembly builds, those are so big because it allowed us to go in, truly understand what our inventory levels were, understand, you know, what the yields were, right, based on the inventory, the accurate data. So you can figure out, okay, we have this much, we know we have this much because the system is telling us this and we know we can make this much, but at the same time, you can't abandon the uh, the flagship product, right? Because our undershirts were still selling, so the system really kind of allowed us to to navigate this pivot with accuracy and and ultimately confidence. Now, albeit as much confidence as you can have when you you know when you run into a a situation like we did with COVID, we didn't know if the face masks were going to do well or not. This was pre. Uh, pre-recommendations, pre-mandates. I mean, uh, shortly after we, you know, we had them, then, you know, the recommendations and mandates came out. Um, and so, you know, another good piece of that too was we, you know, we were donating one mask for every three that we sold and mm. we donated over 30,000 masks. And that list, because we wanted, again, transparency seems to be a really big buzzword here, but we wanted the transparency because there was a lot of companies that were donating masks or so to speak that, you know, you didn't know who they were donating them to, right? It was, oh, we're donating them to people in need, which, you know, hey, that's fine. That's fine, right? But we thought we wanted to take the extra step. We actually listed the hospitals out and the quantities that they got and the ones that were kind enough to take pictures and whatnot. We posted some of those pictures up there too. And, and that way, just that way we, we can show everybody, hey, look, this is where, you know, your your efforts are going, where, you know, the money you spent on, on buying your mask and, and the donated pieces. I mean, this is where it's all happening. And, you know, and of course, we had people call in some bigger companies that said, you know, hey, I just want to I want to buy and donate a thousand masks. Like, no problem. We, you know, we can make that happen, too. So um, being able to see that, I mean, that was that was big. Yeah. Wow. Um, that's, first of all, that's, uh, that's awesome to hear you guys were donating and I, and you know, I love, I love hearing those stories in this time. I think everybody enjoys hearing those kind of happy stories in this time, despite you guys going through the challenges you were going through, you still managed to, to give back, which is uh, a good, a good heartfelt message. Um, and, and I yes. love hearing that. Thank great, you. Thank you great for you guys. Yeah, yeah that was, that was important for us. I mean, we saw the struggle there. We saw a bunch of the, you know, the hospital first responder staff not having these things. And, you know, it's also why we, you know, for, for during that duration, we made the decision that we weren't going to discount the masks. I mean, they were, they were already, you know, affordable. We were selling them for five ninety nine, And that was back mm-hmm. when we saw companies selling them for 18, 20, yeah. you know, 20 dollars. It's like, whoa, they're really, you know, that's, that's way, we know how much this stuff costs. That's way too much. And of mm-hmm. course, all of our products are made here in the U.S., um, so that, you know, that's always something we, we, we held very passionately to, you know, making sure that our products are made here. Um, and, and so, and so in lieu of the discount, we were like, well, then we're just gonna, you know, we're going to offer, we're going to offer donations. Right. Right. Um, so just to kind of walk people through this. So essentially you utilize NetSuite to see kind of your raw materials on hand, your inventory on hand. And then mm-hmm. and from that, that's kind of where you created the masks. So you weren't wasting inventory. You weren't sitting on inventory. You weren't sitting on these raw materials. You were able to then, you know, create this new product line out of that. Exactly. Exactly. So we had confidence and accuracy in the yields, the cost, the forecasted inventory. And again, nobody, and the the reason why this is so important too, is that nobody knew you know, what was going to happen next, right? We didn't know if, when things were going to turn around and, and, you know, how they were going to turn around. So you always had to be prepared for this. Again, our, our undershirts, the flagship product, right? We still had to keep that in mind. We couldn't just abandon that from the raw material side and just start making mass, you know, because what if all of a sudden the undershirts and things return back to normal? So while you're going through this uncertain time to have the certainty that NetSuite offers you when you when you're looking at these at your raw materials and your inventories, I mean, that's so crucially important for, you know, peace of mind and and being able to adapt 
as you know as you go. And and that's the other point too. Our mask we completely underestimated. Um, I don't think anybody knew how many masks you were going to sell right going into this thing, and so we underestimated that. And then obviously once again we had down to a very detailed level, okay, how much, what was the threshold? How much of our raw materials can we pull before we get the replenishment in? How will that impact the undershirt inventories? You know, all that stuff. And so, you know, otherwise you're just, you know, you're, you're, you're sort of going through it blindly, right? And that's never a good thing, especially, especially, you know, during times like this. Yeah, definitely. And do you guys continue to, to forecast and reforecast how often right now and how is NetSuite helping with that? Well, you know, the forecast, goodness, the forecasts are, <laughs> that's the other, you know, that's the other sort of X factor in all of this, the variable, if you will, is that, you know, we, you know, we knew we needed about a year's worth of data in NetSuite um, to really get some accurate forecasts in. And, 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 you know, that was recommended to us by the Suite Success team. Obviously, it's completely logical, right? You need, you need data to, to be able to forecast. And, um, unfortunately, right when, you know, right around when we started hitting that one year mark, you know, COVID, COVID hits and it's like all the forecasting models were sort of out the window at that time, uh, especially for our core product. But obviously we've been able to do what we can from the mass standpoint in, in relation to, uh, n- not necessarily being able to sort of forecast with any great accuracy or confidence in, in, in what existing products are going to do for the long term, so to speak, because no one knows. I mean, we don't know how masks are going to sell six months from now, right? But what it, what it did do was it provided us, again, that data to see how things were doing in order to forecast, you know, our, our projected runs and inventory, raw material inventories for the new things that we were off adding. Like we're coming out with a pink mask um, very soon. And, you know, pink's not something we had in existing inventory. So, Mm. you know, we had to go out and get that and then add that to the system. But now how much do we get, right? Well, we go back to the system and we look what, you know, all the other SKUs and masks done did with ease. We can access that information now and we can just come up with a confident number to forecast for the production runs. Right, right. Um, Now kind of bringing all of this full circle, um, what would you say is the overall biggest impact of NetSuite? Um, is there a KPI you've specifically focused on since implementation? Uh, obviously that's changed since you were focusing on different KPIs and everything changed in the world in March. Um, right. But what would you say has been the overall biggest impact? Well, I'd say the overall biggest impact that we've had from NetSuite is the ability to save time and money, right? I mean, those are huge. Uh, to save time and money while still providing us with the confidence to grow and and scale our business through having you know the quality centralized data and you know all of the reporting capabilities and visibility that it offers i mean th- that would be the the overall biggest impact you know that that netsuite was able to bring to the table for us when you talk about these resources that you save time money um where were you able to like reallocate those elsewhere within the company well, you know, the ability to, I would say, because you're saving time, resource, it's, it just, it frees up, you know, my time and, and Randy, my business partner's time to, to, for us to focus on other things. Uh, and and our, our leadership team, those that are responsible for their, you know, particular departments and the operations side, like, they, it's freed up a lot of time and headache for them, right? I mean, you know, uh, at the end of the day, Everybody, everybody only has so much life energy that they can put into something, right? I know it's, it's almost like a gas tank, right? And I know, you know, there's those philosophies that, oh, you can power through anything and you can get anything done. Well, you know, in reality, you, you, have, you have a peak performance window, right? And, and, and hardly do, the, do any of the studies point to being, you know, eight hours, right? It's, it's more like a, you know, it's, it's more like in chunks, and then also, you know, decision fatigue is a real thing that happens to you know, people who have to make a lot of important decisions, right? And so, you know, the fact that you can save time and money and, and, and not get bogged down by, you know, tedious things and, and all these manual processes that you have to do, it really just, it frees all that up for us to focus that, you know, that energy, if you will, into the tasks that are imperative to, you know, either keeping our business running optimally or, you know, or growing or growing the business, right? I mean, both of those are are fundamental. So we've been able to shift that, 
that you know that time and resource space to focusing on those things that that are going to be more important to our business as far as its future is concerned. And what does the future look like for Thompson T? I mean, it's it's hard to say right now, but is it, if COVID wasn't a thing, or I don't know, maybe if it was, do you have future goals in mind, and and how will Netsuite help you get there? Yeah, <laughs> what is the the near term future? I mean, yeah, it's, it's like one like, of those things where I'm like, I don't know. Some get... <laughs> people completely switch. Some companies have completely switched their like overall business yeah. model to something it's different. Like, I'm like, they're like, we might just stick with this, but yeah, um, yeah, you know, exactly. For you guys, what what does the future look like? I know, right? I mean, it's easy to say. Well, we hope we can just keep the doors open and and the lights on, right? Um, you know, our, our first goal, right, is getting back to par, right, getting back to the pre-COVID level from a, from a you know, a top-line revenue standpoint. Uh, but looking past that, right, the obvious of just trying to get back to where we were and talking about the evolution that has come about because of all this, same thing. You know, we plan on keeping the mass as a permanent product line uh, just because we think that it's going to have a there's going to be a need for these in the yeah. future every flu season regardless of it if, it if covid's there or not or there's vaccines or not i think people are just going to be more open to wearing masks or wanting to wear masks yeah. uh so again we'll we'll keep those as a as a product we plan to keep those as a product line uh we also you know the interesting thing that happened because we got put in front of all of these uh new customers that aren't necessarily part of our target demographic if you will meaning that they're not excessive sweaters per se uh we need to look at how do we cater to that audience right we have them now what sort of products that are natural extensions of our brand that we can introduce to uh, this new audience that we have, which is, you know, fairly quite significant. So we, we do see, you know, Thompson T evolving, you know, past just the undershirt space and, and looking at some more products. Now, unfortunately, I can't divulge all of those. Yeah, of course, of course. <laughs> but, but, you know, but again, it, it, that, that's, how we, that's how we see it happening, which, you know, all that ties back into the ease at which we can add a product you know, and have NetSuite support it, right, all the way down to the raw material level if, if, if need be. So, again, that gives us the confidence and, and makes it much easier for us to develop and launch new products successfully. Yeah. And finally, to conclude here, I mean, what would Thompson T look like had you not implemented NetSuite right now and, and in the future? Oh, <laughs> well, I, I would say that, uh, much to the san- you know, to the sacrifice of our our sanity and well being, you know, the from the outside looking in, Thompson T would you know would look very similar, right? Only because we would have forced it to. We would have somehow made sure that whatever was facing the customer was looking okay, right? But obviously, if you peel back the onion or you look under the hood it would be a mess, right? It would be a mess underneath there. It would still be a lot of manual processes that we would have to be sort of band-aiding together. And I probably would have a lot less hair due to the stress of having to endure all of this <laughs> unnecessary, you know, steps and burdens of, of running, you know, keeping your business going. So, you know, I don't even, honestly, it's hard for me to even try to fathom what it would look like if we were trying to navigate this thing. All I can do is go back to those painful points prior to NetSuite and say, it would just be a lot more of that. And who knows how that would manifest in, in myself <laughs> and even our employees, right? I mean, right? everyone feels this you know, everyone down the line feels the pain of an inefficiency, right? So, right. Um, but yeah, that's, you know, that, I think that's a, a safe, a safe um, assessment on what things would be like had we not had NetSuite. Yeah. Well, thank you so much, Billy, for joining us on this episode of the NetSuite podcast. It was so great having you. There's some really great insight that you've shared um, for everyone. And we just, we so appreciate it. Well, Kendall, thank you very much. I appreciate it as well, you know, given this platform to, to highlight these benefits and hopefully uh, some people that are in e-commerce space are looking to get, in, get into the e-commerce space. This, you know, this saves them a lot of time and money and headache. Yeah, definitely. Well, thank you. Yeah, thank you, Kendall. Thank you so much to Billy Thompson for joining us on this episode of the NetSuite podcast and sharing the Thompson Tea story. I also want to shout out to our editing crew over at Lampstand and all of you for tuning in. Don't forget, 
rate, review, and subscribe. See ya. You just listened to the NetSuite podcast. Be sure to tune in every week with more NetSuite developments, stories, and insights into the benefits of one integrated system to help you run your business.